Hello, everybody. Welcome back. This week is Parashat Shemais, and we're continuing with the Halachas of Hadlachas Neiros, Part 2. <clears throat> we mentioned last week that it is sufficient to light even one candle to be Mekayim the Mitzvah of Hadlachas Neiros, but the minig is to light minimally two, one for Zohar and one for Shamar. Zohar is uh, coming from the Pasuk of Zohar, Asiyah Meshavah Sokachai, Zohar refers to the positive, positive commandments we have about Shabbos. Um, simply, it means Kiddush. Zohar means to say Kiddush. And it includes also the Mitzvah of Lacha Mishnah, the Mitzvah of Einik Shabbos, and Kavit Shabbos, and eating three meals on Shabbos. Shamar, guard yourself, Shamar Shabbos, refers to the Loisaseis of Shabbos, meaning refraining from the 39 Malachas. The word Zohar is used on the first Luchais when talking about Shabbos, and the word Shamar is used on the second Luchais. And according to Chazal, they were miraculously said simultaneously. Zohar v'shamar b'dibur echad namru. They were said in one shot when the Luchas were given on Hasinai. And if this correlation between these two, this connection between Zohar and Shamar, which is the reason that women are obligated in Kiddush and Lacha Mishnah and the three Mesudas of Shabbos, although these are mitzvahs which are Zaman Grama, they're time-bound mitzvahs, and generally women are not obligated in mitzvahs which are time-bound, but since women are obligated in Shamar not to be Mechal El Shabbos, therefore they're also included in Zohar, because the two are intertwined and compared to each other. So that's why we, we light two neiris on Shabbos, one for Zohar and one for Shammah. The minig is to add one candle per child, but this is only done when lighting at home, not when someone is a guest. Then you only light two. If someone forgets to light the candles totally, simply forgets, the minig is then to add another candle for the rest of your life as a tikkun. For missing out on the hadlaka, it's either for a schus or as a knas. Not clear whether it's like a fine, but regardless, it's a dominicus to do that to add another candle. Now, there's another option. You don't have to add another candle. What you could do is you can just add to the size of the candle being used. So if you use tea lights, you can use two-hour candles. If you use two-hour candles, you can use three or four-hour candles. And that is sufficient and obviously a little less embarrassing. You don't have to explain how many children you have when you really have less than the, the nearest you have on, on your uh, lifetime. Now, if someone misses hadlaka due to an aina, like getting stuck in traffic or they're in the hospital or some other such aynas, usually you are not required to add an air in the coming weeks. And a rub should be consulted about this because it depends on the degree of Ines. But assuming it was an Ines, then you don't have to add for that reason. Now, in addition, if wherever you are, there is already someone else lighting. For example, you're going to be on Shabbos a guest at your in-laws or at a sibling or whoever, and they lit Nehra Shabbos. So although you were going to light your own and you forgot or whatever reason was that you didn't light, since someone else in the house lit, you are Yaitse. And you don't have to add a nair because you could be out there with that person's hadlaka as well. Also, even in your own home, if you had turned on the lights just before Shabbos, so that turning on the lights really can count bidiyavet as hadlaka's nairs, although you didn't have that in mind, and it's enough that you wouldn't have to add. And lastly, this is the most important to realize that if you see that for whatever reason you're not going to make it in time to light nair Shabbos, call someone and make them a shaliach to light for you. 
have someone, have a person, any person, light two tea lights in your name for your sake in your house, and they can make a bracha too. Uh, if you're a guest for someone else and you're getting there late, have them light two extra candles for you, and this way you'll be yaitza b'chadchila. And let's say you're coming home and only your children are home, and your children are um, under bas mitzvah or under bar mitzvah, they still can light for you if there's no one else, and they can make a bracha. Now, in that particular case, when there's someone under bar mitzvah or bas mitzvah lighting for you, if you do get home in time, you should light with a bracha because you're not literally, I'd say, with them. You can, it's just enough that the house has theirs, so you don't get a knas, but you yourself weren't actually yoyed to the mitzvah with them because they're too young to be your shaliach. So if you do get home in time, you should light with a bracha. Now, if you didn't do any of the buff, right, you didn't get a shaliach, you don't have any neris burning in your house, and you get, but you come home and it's still bein which means it's still within about 20 minutes after shkia. So by the time you got home, it's still within 20 minutes after shkia, I'll say 10 minutes after shkia. You can ask a non-Jew to light the neris for you. You can ask the non-Jew straight out. You don't even have to ask, you don't have to hint, you don't have to do You can, within those 20 minutes, you're allowed to ask the non-Jew straight out to light two candles for your sake. But you don't make a bracha in that situation, but it does help that you're having the mitzvah. There is a question if this applies when you miss candle lighting on Yantiv. It's not, actually, it's not such an unusual thing for a person to miss candle lighting on Yantiv because on the second night of Yantiv, it can happen that you forget to light. Why? Because you don't light in the typical time, you know, Arab Yantiv, because it's the second day Yantiv. So you only light on, after it gets dark. And what happens if you're a guest by someone else? You might have walked over to them uh, while it was still day, and then you don't necessarily remember to light had luck as near as in their house. So you have to like when you get back home, and, and uh, it's not very easy to forget. Especially like on Simchas Torah, it gets very late. So you get home, you don't necessarily remember to light candles, etc. So there's many, it's not unusual that Anyantiv a person should forget, and there's a machlik as whether if you forget Anyantiv, if you are obligated to uh, add a candle. So it's also something you should um, ask a rub. Now the Shulchan Aruch seems to imply that the ideal for Hadlaka is Shemen Zayis, olive oil. That's funny because by Chanukah, anyone who can is mahader to use olive oil for the mitzvah. They try to use specifically uh, olive oil. But by Shabbos, the opposite is true. It's the minority that uses olive oil, and the overwhelming majority use candles. The reason I imagine is because at Chanukah, we want to celebrate a specific nate that occurred with olive oil. So we want to bring out that point. But on Shabbos, there's nothing particular about olive oil. The main point is to have a clear bright, non-flickering light. And the fact is that candles often do a, a better job than olive oil on providing a clear light that will burn and burn cleanly. And therefore, it's the choice of the majority. The correct time to light is 18 minutes before Shkia, over here in Chutzlaret. Other places in the world have different menhagim. Shalim has 40 minutes. Nebrak has 30 minutes. When making early Shabbos, you can light earlier, but not earlier than Plaga Mincha. Now, we can't go into the calculations of how you do Plaga Mincha, so you'll need to check a calendar on that, or a calendar app, more likely. Plaga Mincha can be quite light. So, uh, generally, the early Shabbosim, depending on what kind of shul you daven in, early Shabbos Mincha is scheduled before Plaga Mincha. So when your husband leaves the shul on an early Shabbos, it's really too early to light near Shabbos. You would only be able to light later. So it's important to be conscious of the zman when lighting near is on an early Shabbos. Now, you can light 
the candles past the 18 minute, minute mark if you miss it for whatever reason and you can light up till shkia but obviously don't light you know within a minute of shkia don't cut it that close and next week Amir Tashem will discuss the concept whether lighting con- constitutes a Kabbalah Shabbos and all that comes along with that in this parasha we're told about how Moshe Rabbeinu grows up and he goes out to see what the plight of his brothers are he lends a shoulder to help them with their work he literally and figuratively is nice about then two stories happen which alter the course of his life he sees a mitzri hitting a Jew and he kills the mitzri after ensuring he was alone he hides the body in the sand and this is a fascinating story why would Moshe take such a radical act of murder endangering his own life and likely the other lives of other Jews who would most certainly be implicated if the Nazis pa- practiced group punishment I'm sure the Egyptians did too so there was a lot of risk over here a lot at stake obviously there's a lot we don't understand about the context and the intent behind this act but we trust Moshe Rabbeinu he justified it nevertheless apparently Moshe Rabbeinu was not successful in ensuring he won't get caught because on the next day he finds two Jews quarreling and he tries to intervene to prevent the Russia from hitting his friend they get angry at him and they accuse him of snatching power and leadership forcefully they let him know that they're onto his little secret of killing the mystery and they seem to imply and accuse Moshe that he is liable to kill them just as he killed the Egyptian do you mean to kill us too what an accusation what caused them to think that that Moshe would kill them they clearly find Moshe to be a threat of some sort because they then go and tell on him to the authorities causing Pari himself to get involved and demand Moshe be killed for his actions which he nearly is but he is saved through a miracle when his neck turns to a rock and deflects the axe of the executioner killing the executioner instead and Moshe escapes and flees Mitzrayim in the confusion when Moshe realizes that they are threatening to be Moser him to give him up to the authorities but it says that you Moshe Moshe is frightened why is he frightened so simple shots obvious he's frightened for his life but Rashi adds from the Medrash that Moshe was afraid that the Jews have no merit to be redeemed from Mitzrayim they have no schus they have Dilturin meaning people who talk Lashon Hara in general and more specifically in this case they give them information they're informers they're maestrum to the oppressors the next classic Moshe has an epiphany a sad flash of clarity he says the thing in truth means in truth the thing is now known what is known so simply this means his secret got out killing of the mystery but Rashi continues from the Medrash on the same vein that Moshe was commenting on the plight of the Jews in Mitzrayim he had wondered why is it that the Jews of all nations have to suffer so much at the hands of the Mitzrayim doing back-breaking spirit demolishing labor but now he understands it's justified why because they seem to be sinners they're saying Lashon Hara they're Mitzrayim they're informers now I know now I understand what's going on here why the Jews are suffering now we look at this story by itself and we nod our heads and we say ah you know who these people are this is Dustin and Aviram what can you expect Dustin and Aviram the bad apples at the beginning of their career Moshe doesn't even know 
what is in store from him, for, for him from these two. And we think that doesn't reflect at all on the rest of the Jews. It's just these infamous two. But Moshe could have made that assumption as well. Why would he immediately come to the conclusion that this indicates that the whole Klal Yisrael is rotten to the core? Why not just discount these two as clearly bad people? I mean, Moshe Rabbeinu had already identified them as Rishayim. He called one a Russia, and then he called the other one Chaveira, Reacha. When he calls a friend of a Russia a friend, he means they're both Rishayim. He knows they're evil people. Why draw a conclusion about the whole nation and justify all the suffering of two centuries and doubt their worthiness to be redeemed because of the actions or implied intent, they didn't even do it yet, the implied intent of Dustin and Abiram. What is going on here? I saw two points made here, one by Vienus and Ibishitz and one by the Maharal, Maharal, I'm sorry, and they both underscore just how intense Lashon Hara can be. The first point is that if you look at the whole picture, you see a chilling thing. Moshe Rabbeinu made a decision to kill the Mitzri. Now, we don't know why, as I said, and what the context was, but we're insured, assured that it was justified. I mean, Moshe Rabbeinu did it, so we trust Moshe Rabbeinu. Now, Dustin and Aviram witnessed this and came to a very different conclusion. They did not give Moshe Rabbeinu any benefit of the doubt. They didn't question him and ask him what his justification was. They rather just passed judgment on him clearly labeling him a killer and probably assuming him to be a rightist, someone who is endangering all of Klyostral with his actions. So they justified killing him, turning him into the authorities, which was effectively killing him. Look at the picture, and what does this remind you of? The exact same exchange took place between Yosef and the Shavatim. They saw him as a threat to them, as a rightist. They passed judgment on him without giving him the benefit of the doubt. They didn't talk it out with him. And they turned him into the authorities. After a fashion, they sold him. The same exact thing. And that sin was what brought Klai Yisrael into Gauls Mitzrayim in the first place. And they knew that. So clearly they had to rectify that sin in order to be redeemed. And this is what Moshe was horrified about. This is what Rav Yonison Ibishet points out. How could they still be struggling with the exact same character flaw? They haven't done anything to fix it. Then how will they, they be redeemed? No wonder they still have to suffer and work so hard. It didn't make a difference that the perpetrators were Dasan and Aviram. For one thing, it's important to realize they were leaders in Klaistral. They were at the riffraff. We see this clearly by the fact that they are named in the revolt of Kairach, although hundreds of other rebels aren't named. And Chazal are full of the fact that they were leaders. They weren't simply sinning. They were justifying their actions. And they were an example to everybody else. But more than that, think of a comparable story. There's a fellow, he has a wonderful family. He's a father with a nice job, a nice reputation, wonderful wife, five beautiful kids, a house, car, you name it, has everything. Everything is going fantastically. But then, the father gets caught. He is arrested. He was committed, committing major fraud. He gets hauled off to jail. And the whole family, it disintegrates. They get divorced. They lose their house, their assets. The kids drop out of school. They have to move away. And things just get worse and worse. 
Fast forward 20 years. One of his sons has gotten his life together. He's holding down a nice job, has a beautiful wife, five wonderful children in the house and all that. And guess what? He gets caught committing fraud. And you turn to the person and you say, you, you, how could you? Haven't you witnessed the destruction it caused firsthand? How could anyone, no matter how bad, repeat that mistake? And this was the epiphany of Moshe Rabbeinu. How could they not see this? How will they ever merit to be saved? The Maral makes an additional point. He says they didn't simply say Lashon Hara. They turned Moshe over to the non-Jewish authorities, their oppressors. They revealed a Jewish secret to the non-Jews. And this created a bond, a connection between the Jews and the non-Jews. They betrayed the Jews and connected with the non-Jews. And the Maharal explains that even a tiny connection, although just by a few people, is nevertheless a connection. He, he uses one example, but a similar kind of example is that you can have one tremendous electrical system powering up a whole building, and you can have another huge electrical system powering up another whole skyscraper, and you can connect them by one tiny little wire. Once the connection is there, it's there. They're connected. If a nation stands truly apart, it would be unthinkable, impossible for someone to do that, to give, to betray their own. And if it does happen, there is a connection, and there's something wrong here. And as a result, he writes, that makes the Jews subservient to the Egyptians. He says a remez. In the word achain, the word Moshe Rabbeinu said, achain, it's spelled aleph, chaf, and nun. And nun. Now, Chaf and Nun, 20 and 50, add up to 70, the 70 nations of the world. Aleph represents Klal Yisrael, the one nation. He remarks that the letters Aleph, which represents Klal Yisrael, and Ayin, which is 70, representing the nations, are similar sounding, actually, yet they're never together in a Shirish. You never find them in one word. They're separate. If there's a connection, the Aleph serves the Ayin, and that is Achin. The Aleph has connected with the 70. That's what Moshe Rabbeinu is saying. Okay, we have a problem here. We have an Aleph together with the Chaf and the Nun, and that's a problem. That's what frightened Moshe. He saw the start of a disease due to Kal Yisrael losing its feeling of fierce protectiveness of their exclusiveness and guarding their own. And that dilution, he said, that can destroy us. So what we can learn from here is, number one, the utmost important, importance I'm sorry, of judging favorably speaking to the person, working it out, not passing judgment and not saying Lashon Hara. We see how dangerous that is. And two, the importance of even one person not committing that sin. Even one person, and certainly not engaged with the non-Jews you know, in, in, in a method of Mesira. And the whole Geula can hinge on that. That's what Moshe Rabbeinu said. One person can make all the difference. Have a good night and a good Shabbat.